Well, good morning, everyone. I think I'm on. Oh, yeah. Good morning. My name is Michael Atmar. If I haven't had the chance to meet you personally, I serve as one of the pastors here. And I am really excited to open the Word of God with you today as we dive into this, the fourth beatitude, as we explore this idea of what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And before we get going, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment in your life when it, it dawned on you that your diet, as it currently stood, is not sustainable? I had one of these moments in my life about a month or so ago. I went to see my primary care physician to get a physical. I tried to make that a habit in recent years. And, uh, and I was telling him I, was, I had experienced some, some stomach pain the week leading up to that appointment, which was my reminder to, to have the appointment, of course. And, uh, and I, we were talking about how to manage stress in healthy ways. We talked about, you know, exercise and kind of good rhythms there. And, and then we talked about diet and nutrition which is not exactly what I wanted to talk to him about. But he was, he was explaining to me that there's lots of, uh, lots of people, and I would fall into this category, that like when you walk into the grocery store, back when people used to do that, I know a lot of people do grocery pickup these days, but imagine walking into the grocery store in the middle of the grocery store is all the stuff that I like. And you grab these chips and these crackers and this processed food and these you know, Pop-Tarts, you name it, the good stuff right in the middle, but he was teaching me the importance of kind of working, learning to work the perimeter of the grocery store, finding the vegetables and the fruits and all the healthy stuff kind of around the edges, and, uh, and it was one of those moments where, you know, when, when you have this type of conversation, you really have two, two options. I mean, you can live in denial, and you can say, this guy doesn't know me. Who is he to talk to me about what I should and shouldn't eat? He doesn't know my diet, or you can listen to the one who is wiser and who has your best interests in mind. And, you know, the interesting thing about that conversation is what my doctor was telling me is, Michael, if you start cultivating an appetite for some of these healthier things, at first it might feel like a discipline, but, but over time what's going to happen is it's not just going to be like you're just surviving. You're actually going to grow to enjoy these things more and you're going to feel so much better. You, you're going to thrive you're going to be deeply satisfied. And I think much in the same way, when we come to this beatitude, the fourth beatitude, um, what Jesus is inviting us to this morning is to develop a kingdom appetite. What he's going to show us is when we know him as our king, knowing Jesus as our king gives us a new palate. He's going to change the things that our heart desire, hearts desire. He's going to start to give us a love for him and for his ways. So a new palate, but this is going to require new meal preparation. We're not just going to reach for the Cheetos and the donuts like I used to do back in the day. It's going to require something different of us, but the result is going to be newfound pleasure in God. So come with me on this journey to, to, to see what it means to develop a kingdom appetite, knowing Jesus as our king, who gives us a new palate, which is going to require new meal preparation, but will result in newfound pleasure in God. I'm going to read our text for us a few times throughout the morning, and I hope that each time I read it, you will allow this to sink a little bit more deeply into your heart, and that you would take it as not just a lecture I'm up here to deliver, but that these would actually be your words, that you would pray these things to the Lord, that you would ask him to give you, by his spirit, a deeper 
hunger and thirst for him. So let me read this for us again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So I want us to start with this word righteousness. If we're honest, this word is kind of a non-starter for many of us. We hear the word righteousness, and, and honestly, in our modern English, just day-to-day conversations, we only use this word when it's part of the compound word self-righteous. <laughs> and so we kind of stay away from this word. We don't want to be described as somebody who's self-righteous, and so we don't even really know how to connect with what this word means. But the reality is, in both Old Testament and the New Testament, this word is rich. And it has to do with a relationship with God. It has to do with right standing before God. The idea of righteousness is, it is conformity to a standard. But specifically, the way that this happens is in the context of of living in a right relationship with God, which results in relationship with other people. And so we're going to explore this idea of righteousness today, asking the question, does our life, how can our life possibly live up to the moral standard of who God is? And if you were to search the Bible for the answer to this question, how do we get this righteousness? There's a resounding answer all throughout the New Testament. It only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I want, I want us to turn to the book of Romans chapter 3. We're going to have these, these uh, verses up on the screen as well. But the book of Romans is this beautiful treatise on the gospel. And Paul is explaining the gospel just in, in this extended uh, beautiful treatise. And, and one of the key phrases in the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And what we see in the book of Romans is the righteousness of God is revealed, that we cannot achieve it. In fact, right before this in Romans chapter 3, he's going to say, there is none who is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What Paul has been saying is that all of us, we daily turn away from God. We sin against him in our thoughts and our words and our actions. We do not live in accordance with the moral standard of his will. But not only that, even the good things that we do, if you were to plumb the depths of our motives, we actually do them for selfish reasons. We do them to make ourselves feel good. We do them to make other people think well of us. We do them to somehow put God in our debt that he would owe us something. We do it with the aim that we would actually receive glory. And so Paul says, none is righteous. But look at these verses, these verses of hope, this good news here. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, I'm going to read it for us. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so what the Apostle Paul is showing us is that you can't work hard enough to achieve this righteousness. There's no way that you could just try to earn this righteousness. It only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one who has lived a perfectly righteous life. He is the righteous one, and his name is Jesus. And the only way that we can be restored into a right relationship with God, since all of us have sinned and turned away from him, it is by letting go of trusting in ourselves and laying hold of him by faith. It's trusting in him, saying, Lord, I admit that I am a sinner, that I am unrighteous. I believe that you are the Savior, and I confess you as my Lord. I'm trusting in you. I'm counting on you to make me righteous. And the good news of the gospel is when you say that, all of your sin is taken away. He's already paid for it on the cross. And all of his righteousness is credited to your account. You are united to him by faith. Can I ask you this morning, has Jesus made you new? Has he given you a new heart and put his spirit within you? The spirit of holiness who gives you a longing for him, a desire to know him and the righteousness that only comes by living in relationship with him. Have you trusted in Jesus? Because that offer is available to you today. He is saying, come to me, and I will deal with all the sin of your past, and I will give you a bright hope for the future. I will restore you into relationship with me, and we will be one, we will be unified, where your identity will no longer be found in what you do, but in what I have done. You know, there's a British theologian that, that says it this way. Once we come to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, once we trust him as our Lord and Savior, we no longer ask the question in fretful anxiety, how righteous am I? Like, have I measured up? Have I done all the right things? How righteous am I? We don't ask that question anymore. We ask the question, how righteous is Christ? And then we smile. We can rest because he has accomplished perfect righteousness for all those who trust in him. He's made a way for us to be adopted into the family of God. Our true bridegroom, the king of heaven, has come to, to make us one with him. You know, it reminds me, all of this, this idea reminds me of what I have experienced in marriage uh, back when I was dating my wife, Erin, and we, we got engaged and we were moving towards marriage, throughout that time in her life, she was running competitively. She was a college runner, ran cross-country and track, and she, uh, and she was eating really healthy. She'd go to sleep really early every night. She was living this really healthy lifestyle, which was very different than the lifestyle I lived in a fraternity at the University of Texas. It was pretty much a totally opposite end of the spectrum. And, uh, but getting to know Erin and being in relationship with her Every time I'd go visit her at the University of Tulsa, everything in her fridge would be like super healthy. So I found myself eating salads and quinoa bowls and grilled chicken. And I found myself starting to go on runs because I wanted to be able to keep up with her. I just wanted to be able to spend time with her. And, uh, and I saw that my lifestyle started to change because of this relationship with my wife. And now that we're married, um, you know, she's, she's the grocery uh, list keeper, right? So everything in our house is healthy. The only time that I get off track is when I go out to eat uh, and pick my own food. 
That's why I was visiting my doctor. Um, and, and so you see that, that this idea of a relationship, changing our appetite, this is what we're invited into in our relationship with Jesus. So let me just ask you to do that soul searching. Whether you have known him for a long time or you are still considering what it means to trust in Jesus, have you contemplated the fact that he has made you one with himself? That his spirit lives in you. Paul calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of holiness in Romans chapter 1. He changes our appetite. He changes the things that our hearts love. When we see Jesus loving us, it makes us want to love him in return. So this kingdom appetite, knowing Jesus as king, gives us a new palate. But what we're going to see next is this requires new meal preparation. We can't do things all the same way. We can't reach for all the things we used to reach for anymore, right? And so I'm going to read this verse for us again. I want you to, um, to allow this to sink a little bit deeper this time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for this right relationship with God? What does it mean for us to long that there would be nothing that comes in between us and Him? Because of the great lengths that He has gone to to make us righteous, to unite us to Himself by faith, what does it mean to long that our communion with Him, our intimacy with Him would grow day by day? I think before, before we talk about how we can hunger and thirst for righteousness more, we have to ask the question, what is it that we are filling our souls with day in and day out that's robbing us of an appetite for God? What is the junk food that we reach for all throughout our day just to fill ourselves that ultimately just leaves us even more empty than when we started? I'm reminded of how C.S. Lewis communicated this idea in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And brothers and sisters, I would, I would, uh, I would reiterate that I am far too easily pleased. All of us, if we're willing to, to do the honest soul searching, there are things that we reach for all throughout our day and as we go through our lives that are robbing us of intimacy with God. There's junk food that we're filling ourselves with, spiritually speaking, that has made it such that we just don't, we don't desire him like we used to. Maybe there was a time in, in our life previously where our, our, our hearts were hot for him. Where we were in hot pursuit of him because we know how much he loved us and we just wanted to spend time with him. Maybe there's a time in your life when you said things like, Lord, I don't care how much money I make or how much money I don't make. I just want to, wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you call me to do, I will do. And I want us to do that, that take that honest inventory of, of asking the Lord, Lord, what is robbing me of nearness to you? What is robbing me right now of right relationship with you? When I have spare time, what do I do with that time? How do I spend my solitude? 
Like when I finally have a few moments, do I reach for this? Or do I hunger for you, Lord? I just want to turn my heart to you in prayer. I just want to spend time with you in your word. Would you be willing to ask him that question today? Ask him, what is it that you need to, the spirit of holiness is calling you to get rid of, just throw it away, because something better is being offered to you. Like a child who's playing in the mud puddles, who can't imagine that the holiday at the sea is going to be so delightful. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. He's saying, come to me and find satisfaction for your soul. And so I want to ask you the question, what is it that cultivates a greater hunger and thirst for God in your life? What are the times in your life where you have been the most excited to spend time with Him and to partner with Him in His work? What are those regular rhythms that you need to add back into your life? These tried and true meal prep methods that we would grow in intimacy with Him. I know one for me is just this idea of true fellowship, of deep friendship that's rooted in Christ. I spent some time a week ago uh, with a friend, and, uh, and this friend of mine, he's one of these people in my life who just being around him just warms my heart to the gospel. You have people like this, when you're just around them, you can't help it, but you just want God more. You want to want God more as a result of being with this person. I was with this friend of mine. He was telling me a story about his son. And the point of the story was not to make me hunger and thirst for righteousness per se, but that was the end result of the story. He was telling me that when he wakes up in the morning, he lives in an older house and the floor creaks. And so his number one goal is to try to figure out how can I get to my closet in the fewest number of steps without waking up the kids. So he rolls out of bed and he takes a couple steps like this and just kind of like lunges into the closet where his Bible's waiting for him. And he's just laying on his stomach, spending time praying and reading God's word. And he says his son came in, uh, couple weeks back, and his son just got down there with him and was looking at him like, Dad, what are you doing? And, uh, and he goes, I'm just spending time with the Lord, and I'm praying for our family, buddy. Do you want to join me? He's like, yeah. So he's sitting there, and he's kind of watching his dad. And, uh, and then his son finally says, hey, Dad, when I get big, will you fight the bad guys with me? And, uh, and, and the point of his story was to tell me how fun it is to see this little boy heart come alive in his son. But I walked away from that experience saying, oh, Lord, I want to want you like that. I want to hunger for you. I want to love spending time with you. I don't want to use the excuse that I'm going to wake the kids up if I wake up early this morning. Or I was up in the middle of the night because the kids were crying. I want to hunger for you, God. I want my relationship with you to be growing in intimacy where those around me benefit from it. The other relationships in my life are rightly ordered because I'm walking in right relationship with you. I want us to to think about what are the things that cause our our hearts to grow warm towards God? Have we forgotten the love that we had at first? Maybe for some of us, it's just really simply getting back into the rhythms, regular rhythms of word and prayer. Remembering that Jesus said about the word of God just a chapter ago, that man and woman does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Many of us, our souls are just starving. They're anemic because we haven't filled them with the good food that is God's word. Instead, we fill them with all sorts of other things. We fill our hearts with this news story and this sports update and this social media scroll and everything that we look to 
instead of this. We run everywhere else for satisfaction. And really all of our spiritual disciplines, the end result is that we would commune with God in prayer. So I'd ask you, how is your prayer life in this season? Are you enjoying prayer? Do you want to want him more? Do you want to enjoy prayer more? Maybe some of you are saying, man, yes, by God's grace, I have true fellowship in my life. House church is a place where the table's just kind of set for this. It's, these, are, these are communities built around word and prayer, living on mission together, sharing meals together. If you are not a part of a house church, that might be the most practical step is that you would join one of our house churches. But maybe you're here saying, yes, I'm a part of a house church. I am spending time with God in his word and in prayer. But still, I just feel like my heart has grown cold. Maybe in this season of your life, the Lord's calling you to more. Maybe he's inviting you further up and further in into deeper intimacy with him, growing and practicing spiritual disciplines. I think this beatitude in particular just lends itself perfectly for a discussion of fasting. Like when you take, if you just took one meal every week, that instead of eating food, you were going to spend time in, in prayer and in God's word. Or maybe it's 24 hours. Maybe it's one day each week that you were going to cultivate regular rhythms of denying what your body is craving in order that you would remember that your soul has an even deeper hunger. That that physical hunger would actually lead to a deeper spiritual hunger of, Lord, more than this meal, I need you. God, if I get you, I get everything. Maybe the Lord is calling you to step into more regular rhythms of communing with him and fasting and prayer. Or maybe it's solitude. Maybe it's taking time just to silence the noise and get away from your phone. Just five minutes of quiet in his presence. Just creating space for him to speak to you. Or maybe it's regular rhythms of confession. Maybe you need people in your life, brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, who are willing to really love you in the midst of right where you are in your journey, where you can be honest, saying, hey, this is the sin I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? What's the Lord calling you to? That you would grow in hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for right relationship with Him. Because Jesus is showing us that a kingdom appetite, knowing Him as our King, it gives us a new palate. He gives us new desires in our heart, but this requires new meal preparation. But the end result, like my doctor was saying, not just are you going to survive, Michael, but you're going to grow to enjoy these new rhythms. The end result is newfound pleasure in God. And so I'm going to read our text for us one more time. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I want you to focus on the highlighted words, um, blessed and satisfied as I read this. It says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We've been talking about this word bless, makarios. It means this true, deep, abiding joy. This true happiness belongs to those who hunger and thirst for right relationship with God, for righteousness. And they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled, filled with good things, filled with the best thing, and that is Him. That is a deeper relationship with Him. As I was reading this, it reminds me of this prophecy in the Old Testament that points ahead to Jesus. It's right after, it's right after that famous suffering servant passage in Isaiah 53. Remember that one? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. Right after that, in Isaiah 55, we have this invitation. The righteous one, who has made many to be accounted righteous through his sacrifice. This is his invitation, Isaiah 55. I want you to hear this. And hear the echoes of these words, satisfied and blessed. It says this, starting in verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Skipping down to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let me finish with these last few verses. Verse 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. As I was reading through this passage and, and meditating on this idea of, of the blessed life, the happy life of being satisfied in right relationship with the Lord, once and for all being made righteous by faith in him, but in an ongoing way, growing in intimacy with him. As I was thinking about this, it just begs the question, are you satisfied? Am I satisfied? The things that we are chasing, the diet that we have set for ourselves, spiritually speaking, the things that we're pursuing with our lives, our careers, our spare time, the things that we're chasing with the desires of our hearts, are they satisfying us? Do you hear this invitation from the Lord? He's saying, why do you spend yourself and labor for things that do not satisfy? Saying, listen to me and come to me and delight yourself in rich food. Do you notice that he says, you don't need money for this. It's free of charge if you will just come to me. I'm the only one who can satisfy your soul. Do you hear the words of your creator telling you that today? Whether you've known him for a long time or you're just coming to know him, do you hear him speaking to you saying, if you let go of all these other things and come to me, I promise I will satisfy the deepest places of your soul. Brothers and sisters, this invitation is available for you today. There's only one who has pleasures forevermore at his right hand. There's only one who, who can fill our souls to overflowing with his love and joy and peace. Would you drink deeply of him day in and day out? If you don't know him, would you come to him? Would you place your faith in him? He's just a whisper away. The only variable in this equation is us. He's here saying, come. I want to satisfy your soul. You know, St. Augustine said it this way. He said, Thou hast made us 
for thyself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And you see, the way that all of this is possible is because there is one who hungered and thirsted. There's one who came who knew hunger and thirst. There's one who came who experienced the ultimate restlessness, this anguish on the cross as he took all of our sins on his shoulders. He took the punishment that we deserve so that in him we can find the deepest, most true joy and satisfaction and blessing. What we've been saying throughout this series is is essentially this, the pleasures of God, the blessed, happy life in God. It's available to bankrupt, mourning, meek, hungry, and thirsty disciples. Because the righteous one, he who knew no sin, became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wherever you are in your journey, would you come to him today? Would you say, Lord, I want to drink deeply of you, that out of my heart would flow rivers of living water. And you know what he promises? He promises that one day, in Revelation 19, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. For all those who trust in him, who take their trust out of themselves and say, Lord, I'm counting on you to save me. I'm counting on you alone to make me righteous. We will get to feast with him, our true bridegroom, and we, his bride, the church, and we will be satisfied. We will eat and drink, and our hearts will overflow with joy. May we be a people who live with a longing for this meal and who invite those around us saying, come and drink deeply of this one who has laid down his life for you and who is alive and well today. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that this is true, that our souls can be satisfied in you, Lord, and you alone. And so, Jesus, all of us together, we, we come to you even in these moments, and we say, Lord, we need you to fill our souls to overflowing with your love and joy and peace. Nothing else will do, Lord, you alone. I pray that you would make us a people who regularly return to you, day by day, moment by moment, and find our souls satisfied in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be in right relationship with your Father by your Spirit's work in our hearts. Would you make us a people who are heralds of this good news in our city, that we, are, we couldn't help but share that which we're enjoying in you. So we love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.